going on? Welcome back to the Learn Life Podcast. I am your host, Merit, and we are talking about the Celestine Prophecy, a book by James Redfield. If you have a copy of it, the green book would be Red and White, the 20th Anniversary Edition. Um, we are on Chapter 3, or The Third Insight, and it is titled A Matter of Energy beginning on page 38 and before I get started I just want to say that I was I'm on the clubhouse app I don't know if any of you are on it but or if you are on it but I am on the app and I try to find rooms that reflect what it is that I'm interested in and what I'm trying to do and so I found a room and in the room they were discussing books and other things that are helpful along a spiritual journey you know the books that are I don't want to call them the usual suspects but there are certain books that get brought up when you are pursuing a spiritual journey and a spiritual awareness or awakening perhaps um, that you are recommended and so yeah I was in one today and one of the people who were speaking mentioned this book the celestian prophecy and it was just like a a moment you know what i mean it was like wow because i actually had this idea to do this kind of book study book discussion about this very book for maybe a month or two and so to hear her speak about it today and then also what was surprising to me was the amount of people that were like no you know we never heard about it um we've never read it I don't know it was it was a confirmation of something I don't know what it confirmed but I'm happy that I'm doing this or I mean I was always happy that I'm doing it but it's more like I'm excited to do it and excited to talk about it with you because it means that it may help somebody you know it's one of the recommended books and all of that but it I don't know maybe it feels like I'm on the right path with doing it so I'm sorry that I I did take up quite a bit of your time talking about that, but it's just so cool when these, uh, we don't call them coincidences, according to the book, you know, <laughs> according to the book, um, that's exactly what was supposed to happen today. So I'm grateful for it, and I hope that you enjoy this episode as well. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover the full chapter, I'll probably break this into two as well, but um, I'm going to get to reading now. So, if you have the book... We are going to begin on page 41 and the main character has met someone named, what is her name? I'm scanning through, scanning through, Sarah Lorner. She is described as sandy haired and blue eyed and girlish except for her serious demeanor. So, again, I cannot confirm that the author or writer or the, the main character is a male, but noticing that she's sandy-haired and blue-eyed and could be described as girlish is probably one of the more masculine descriptions of any woman you're going to find. So, assuming that the main character is male, we'll move on. Maybe he said it. <laughs> should probably read more closely. Anywho, page 41. Uh, we are in the one, two, three, four, five, six, 
seventh paragraph from the top. Think about the second insight for a moment. After the fall of the medieval worldview, we in the West suddenly became aware that we lived in a totally unknown universe. And I wanted to pause at that part because it says we in the West suddenly became aware. So to me, I'm wondering, like, does that mean the East is aware and the West is the one that's unaware? And then if so, why is the West unaware and the East aware? You know, so I don't know anything. That was speculation. If you have an answer for me, please feel free to let me know. But I'm not sure. Okay, so. One second. Okay. In attempting to understand the nature of this universe, we knew we had to somehow separate fact from superstition. In this regard, we scientists assume a particular attitude known as scientific skepticism which in effect demands solid evidence for any new assertion about how the world works. Before we would believe anything, we wanted evidence that could be seen and grabbed with the hands. Any idea that couldn't be proved in some physical way was systematically rejected. So of course that's speaking to the tangible. Anything that we want to believe, we demand tangible evidence of it. So this is Sarah continuing. God knows, she continued, this attitude served us well with the more obvious phenomena in nature, with objects such as rocks and bodies and trees, objects everyone can perceive no matter how skeptical they are. We quickly went out and named every part of the physical world, attempting to discover why the universe operated as it did. We finally concluded that everything that occurs in nature does so according to some natural law that each event has a direct, physical, and understandable cause. She smiled at me knowingly. You see, in many ways, scientists have not been that different from others in our time period. We decided along with everyone else to master this place in which we found ourselves. The idea was to create an understanding of the universe that made the world seem safe and manageable and the skeptical attitude kept us forced on concrete sorry kept us focused on concrete problems that would make our own existence seem more secure so just basically speaking to the physical the tangible that which we have decided is real based on the fact that we can see it taste it smell it touch it etc so it makes our existence more secure the more we deal in the tangible but the more we deal in the tangible the more fake it is okay (laughs) Uh, continuing at the bottom of page 41 we had followed the meandering path from the bridge through a small meadow and into an area more densely covered with trees With this attitude, she went on, science systematically removed the uncertain and esoteric from the world. We concluded, following the thinking of Isaac Newton, that the universe always operated in a predictable manner, like an enormous machine, because for a long time that's all it could be proved to be. Events which happened simultaneously to other events, yet had no casual relationship, were said to occur only by chance. Then, Two investigations occurred which opened our eyes again to the mystery of the universe. Much has been written over the past several decades about the revolution in physics, 
but the changes really stem from two major findings, those of quantum mechanics and those of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, big up yourself. I will mess with time. I will mess with time. That's the editor version. <laughs> Continuing on page 42. The whole of Einstein's life's work was to show that what we perceive as hard matter is mostly empty space with a pattern of energy running through it. This includes ourselves. And what quantum physics has shown is that when we look at these patterns of energy at smaller and smaller levels, startling results can be seen. So basically when we look at, we have the picture, we have the wider picture or the big picture, and then we zoom in to see smaller and smaller patterns of energy. Experiments have revealed that when you break apart small aspects of this energy, what we call elementary particles, and try to observe how they operate, the act of observation itself alters the results, as if these elementary particles are influenced by what the experimenter expects. This is true even if the particles must appear in places they couldn't possibly go given the laws of the universe as we know them. Two places at the same moment, forward or backward in time, that sort of thing. She stopped to face me again. In other words, the basic stuff of the universe, at its core, is looking like a kind of pure energy that is malleable to human intention and expectation in a way that defies our old mechanistic model of the universe. As though our expectation itself causes our energy to flow out into the world and affect other energy systems, which, of course, is exactly what the third insight would lead us to believe. She shook her head. Unfortunately, most scientists don't take this idea seriously. They would rather remain skeptical and wait to see if we can prove it. Hey, Sarah, here we are over here, a voice faintly called from a distance, a voice called faintly from a distance. To the right, about 50 yards through the trees, we could see someone waving. Sarah looked at me. I need to go talk with those guys for a few minutes. I have a translation of the third insight with me. If you would like to pick out a spot and read some of it while I'm gone. I sure would, I said. So I'll stop there. Also, set break. Alrighty, so the main character now has a copy of the third insight. And generally, what was said prior to is the idea that it is the energy that we emit or the energy that we provide that gives these different things life. So even though we may see them as tangible, they are essentially intangible until we give them our energy, which may be a deep thought, may not be a deep thought, but consider it, okay? So we are going to page 43, three quarters of the way down. I opened the folder and turned to the beginning of the translation. A brief introduction explained that the third insight brings a transformed understanding of the physical universe. Its words clearly echoed Sarah's summary. Sometime near the end of the second millennium, it predicted humans would discover a new energy which formed the basis of and radiated outward from all things, including ourselves. Alrighty, let's jump over that, jump over that. 
bottom page, bottom of page 43. This place is great, she said when she reached me. Have you come to the part about the perception of beauty yet? Okay. So, the perception of beauty is that. Is the perception of energy. So, just above that, um, uh, on page 43. The manuscript said, the human perception of this energy first begins with a heightened sensitivity to beauty. Which is also interesting because we decide what beauty is. Right? So our perception really determines what beauty is. So what kind of beauty can we agree on universally? Other than nature, I don't think we have any... When I say nature, I'm talking about flora and fauna... You know, the, the land, the air, the ocean, uh, the fish, the the creatures of the ocean, the creatures of the land, the creatures of the air. So I don't leave anybody out. <laughs> Heaven forbid the fish write a review of my podcast and send it to me at some point, right? Anyway, <laughs> so top of page 44. Further in the manuscript, she said, it goes into more detail, but I'll explain it briefly. Perception of beauty is a kind of barometer, telling each of us how close we are to actually perceiving the energy. This is clear because once you observe this energy, you realize it's on the same continuum as beauty. You sound like you see it, I said. She looked at me without the slightest self-consciousness. Yes, I do, but the first thing I developed was a deeper appreciation of the beauty. But how does that work? Isn't beauty relative? See? That's what I'm talking about. Beauty is in the, in the eye of the beholder, right? So if you're seeing beauty in everything, that means that you are connected on that particular wavelength. Because you have to be able to see beauty in everything because you are the one putting the energy into it, making it tangible, making it beautiful, making it alive. This is my thoughts, of course, but anyway. Okay. She shook her head. The things that we perceive as beautiful may be different. But the actual characteristics we we ascribe to beautiful objects are similar. Think about it. When something strikes us as beautiful, it displays more presence and sharpness of shape and vividness of color, doesn't it? It stands out. It shines. It seems almost iridescent compared to the dullness of other objects less attractive. I nodded. Look at this spot, she continued. I know you are blown away by it because we all are. This place leaps out at you. The colors and shapes seem magnified. Well, the very next level of perception is to see an energy field hovering about everything. I must have looked bewildered because she laughed. Then she said very seriously, perhaps we should should walk on to the gardens. They're about half a mile further south. I think you'll find them interesting. I thanked her for taking the time to explain the manuscript to me, a total stranger, and for showing me around Vicente. She shrugged her shoulders, and I apologize if I mispronounced the name of the place that they're at. You seem like a friendly person to what we're trying to do, she said, and all we know is, and we all know, we're involved in a public relations effort here. For this research to continue, we must get word out to the to the United States and elsewhere. The local authorities don't seem to like us much. Okay. 
that is a description of what the third insight is which is essentially your ability to see beauty in everything and anything so now I am on page 46 Sarah has introduced the main character to a a biologist named Marjorie. So we're about halfway down the page. Well, that's what we're all about here. Come on, I'll show you. She motioned for me to follow her and we walked around the metal building to a plot of beans. I noticed they appeared to be exceptionally healthy with no noticeable insect damage or dead leaves. The plants were growing in what appeared to be a highly hummus. Hummus? Humans, I think about almonds, I'm hungry. Almost fluffy soil. And each plant was carefully uh, spaced. The stems and leaves of one growing near, but never touching the next. She pointed to the closest plant. We've tried to look at these plants as total energy systems and think of everything they need to flourish. Soil, nutrients, moisture, light. What we have found is that the total ecosystem around each plant is really one living system. One organism. And the health of each of the parts impacts the health of the whole. She hesitated, then said, The basic point is that once we start once we started thinking about the energy relationships all around us, all around. Okay, I'm gonna start that over. Apologies. She hesitated, then said, The basic point is that once we started thinking about the energy relationships all around the plant. Then we started seeing amazing results. The plant in our studies were not partic- the plants in our studies were not particularly larger, but according to the nutritional criteria, they were more potent. How was that measured? They contained more protein, carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. She looked at me expectantly, but that wasn't the most amazing thing. We found that the plants which had the most direct human attention were even more potent. What kind of attention? I asked. You know, she said, fiddling with the ground around them, checking them every day, that sort of thing. We set up an experiment with a control group, getting some getting special attention, others not, and the finding was confirmed. What's more, she continued, we expanded the concept and had a researcher not just give them attention, but to mentally ask them to grow stronger. The person would actually sit with them and focus all his attention and concern on their growth. Did they grow stronger? By significant amounts, and they also grew faster. That's incredible. So yeah, I'll take a pause right there. We are at the middle of page 47. And sit break. I thought that was very interesting because it speaks about how focusing your uh, energy and your attention on the growth of something else would actually affect it. Basically trying to transfer your energy to another growing thing growing living thing and seeing some results out of that effort so i am going to pause there and i'm just going to mention two things the fact that number one 
the beauty in something is up to us to see and so no matter what you think it may be um no matter no matter anything of course you can think of all of the reasons unfortunately nothing is coming to mind right now for me to give you example a long list of examples of reasons why you could find something not beautiful but the focus is to find it beautiful and that depends on the energy that you are actually giving it or portraying the second thing is that the growth of something else can be positively or negatively affected by the energy that you're giving it so when marjorie was talking about the control experiment where they had somebody actually sit down and focus their attention um on the on the plants and focus the concern on their growth and so on and so forth like that energy of sitting down and trying to trying to give an energy of growth to another growing thing it was so powerful because from the experiment the plants responded to it and you can experiment with this with the people in your life like if you pour into them what i try to say is that you know the prayers that you're wishing for me i pray they are fulfilled in your own life so if you are wishing ill for me then there is no choice but for ill to appear in your life because that is the energy that you are putting out if you are expressing or you if you are wishing um health and wellness and positivity in my life then i pray that it is returned to you almost tenfold or however you want to put it like the people in your life have to be pre be privy or have access to positive energy from you and that is the way that they are going to learn and develop and grow and and that is the way that you are going to learn and develop and grow so that is my learn life tidbit of the day Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. And I will see you on the next one. Bye.